KMUW's podcast platform is made possible by High Touch Technologies, a software, technology, and business communications company that provides products, services, and support to all industries. High Touch brings the human touch to technology with a world-class team of industry experts. Learn more at hightouchtechnologies.com. I'm Josh Carey. And I'm Chef Tom Jackson. And you're listening to Cooking with Fire. Today we're going to be cooking up a simple steak sauce with a little Speyside Scotch whiskey. Let's get started. This is Cooking with Fire, a global exploration of barbecue from KMUW. Welcome to episode 70 of Cooking with Fire. Today we're going to dive into the world of scotch. Scotland has a storied history, and one that is as mired in myth as it is fact. But there are a few things we know. The Scottish people have been conquered and freed about as many times as any nation in history, with stories of their warriors like William Wallace and Robert the Bruce reaching far from the shores of their homeland. And it is this homeland that is so important to the whiskey that is created there. But what is it that makes scotch scotch? First, it must be distilled in Scotland, which seems simple, but is an important qualifier as anyone that has had a whiskey from India, Japan, or even Australia can tell you. Each of these countries took on the common recipes of scotch, but seeing as how they are distilled and aged in very different climates, they have varying flavor profiles that take them away from that classic scotch flavor. Second, the mash bill must be only water and malted barley with the allowed addition of other cereal grains for color, though this is rare. The distillate cannot exceed 94.8% alcohol by volume and must be aged in oak casks no larger than 700 liters for a minimum of three years. For any bourbon fans out there, you will note a few major differences beyond the mash bill and country of origin. First, scotch can have a much higher distilled alcohol by volume than bourbon and can be aged in used casks, which are commonly ex-bourbon or sherry casks. The use of a secondary cask is an important one as it means the wood imparts less character early on in the aging process. So even though it must be aged three years, you will find many scotches that are aged 40 plus years to achieve big, bold flavor and color. This is also due to the climate of Scotland, a country which has relatively mild summers and winters, with maximum summer temperatures averaging in the high 50s and low 60s and a winter low around freezing, Scotland has about a 30 degree swing in temperature year round. This means the barrels are impacted less by large swings in temperature, which in casks aged in hotter climates has the effect of a kind of vacuum, forcing the wood to expand and contract, which brings the whiskey deeper into the wood, imparting bolder flavor. This is why you will find fewer scotches aged under 10 years than you will bourbon or other whiskeys that use new casks for aging and age in more dramatic climates. Though you will find a few and with the right conditions for that barrel, it can still result in a fantastic whiskey. Another thing that makes scotch different than other whiskeys is the five official regions for the spirit. Unlike bourbon, which is simply bourbon as long as it is distilled in the United States, Scotland has five regions. Isla, Campbelltown, Speyside, Highlands, and the Lowlands, which each distill and age different styles of scotch. The Speyside whiskeys are known for being lighter and fruitier, while the Isla whiskeys are known for the big smoky peaty flavors. So there is a little something for everyone. Speaking of something for everyone, Tom and I have two different Speyside whiskeys in front of us and we're going to go through them with a few tasting notes now. 
The first of these two whiskeys, with both of them being under $30, just like the rum episode, because I wanted something that was easily affordable for any listener. The first is the Spayburn Braden Auric. Does not have an age statement. It is 40% alcohol by volume, and it has a really light color. Almost reminds me of like a, a dark Chardonnay in that way. It's light and fruity. The nose doesn't have a lot of alcohol on it. It's kind of sweet and creamy. The palate is mostly light ripe fruits, and it has a nice pleasing finish. There's not a lot of oak, not a lot of big flavor. It's just kind of a really nice sipping whiskey for people who say they don't like scotch. This might be the perfect scotch for them. So the second one that we're trying is the Spayburn 10 year. And this one is a bit darker in color, a bit more bold in flavor, but you know, still not too in your face. It's it's really quite drinkable and smooth. A little bit less of those wine characteristics and maybe a little bit more of a caramel kind of flavor going. For someone like myself, and I know Josh as well, you know, we love bourbon don't drink as much scotch, I feel like this is something that you could sit down and drink. Absolutely. Happy to find a couple of sub $30 scotches that are easy to drink, fun to drink, and something that I won't mind keeping around the house, which I'm sure my wife will be happy to have yet two more bottles on the shelf. Now is the perfect time to cut out to Chef Tom in the ATBBQ.com teaching kitchen and get started on today's recipe. Well, today we're going to be cooking a couple of pan-seared ribeye steaks with a scotch steak sauce. And we're going to do this all in the skillet. This is going to give us a really great crust across the rib and it'll give us something to work with starting our pan sauce after the ribeyes have cooked. So the first thing you want to do is get a 12-inch cast iron skillet over a nice hot flame. You want that skillet to be smoking by the time you put your ribeyes in. Now I've got some ribeyes seasoned up here with just some simple salt and pepper and a little oil on the surface. These are going to go down into the hot skillet. Just going to throw a little bit of rosemary in the skillet there to kind of toast and get aromatic and then we'll just sort of leave that on top of the steak as it cooks. But what we're looking to do here initially is just to create a really nice sear across the bottom side of the steak. All right, just a couple of minutes in here and we've got a really great sear on the bottom. So I'm going to flip this over, rosemary and all. Start to get our crust on the opposite side. Do that with both of our steaks. And I'm going to go ahead and throw a lid on top of here because we're getting some great color on the outside, but we also need to bring up the internal temperature. So we're going to expedite that process by putting a lid on, trapping some of that heat in there. We'll still have that intense heat from the bottom, browning the bottom of the steak, but now we're trapping some of that heat inside to bring up the internal temperature. Now, speaking of internal temperature, with the ribeye, our target internal temperature is going to be 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Typically, this is going to land you around medium rare. With something like ribeye, it's got a lot of fat in it. You need that to melt and break down. Otherwise, it's going to seem chewy. If you go too rare, you're going to have a chewy steak. If you go too medium well, you're going to have a tough steak. So we're shooting for something right in the middle. All right, well, our steaks have come up to temperature now. Got some great crust going on both sides. You're going to take these off. Just set them on a plate here to the side. You might loosely cover those with some foil. We'll get our rosemary out of here. We've got some great fond on the bottom of this pan, and that stuff has lots of flavor in it. So we're going to build our sauce right here, right now with that fond down there. We're going to start off, we're just going to use the fat that's in the pan, some of that fat that's rendered out of the ribeyes, and we're going to start off by putting some red onions down with a couple of cloves of crushed garlic. Now you don't necessarily need to be rocking over super hot heat at this point. Out of a medium heat will be great, but we're going to start moving moving these onions around and taking up some of that fond off the bottom of the skillet. You know, while we're at it, let's go ahead and throw just a pinch of smoked salt in there. 
So we're just going to work this around until these onions are softened. Keep it moving pretty frequently. Make sure you're not scorching anything. And then we're going to put together the liquids for this sauce. So for this next portion, grab a little ramekin with about three tablespoons of scotch in there. And we're going to add to that a tablespoon of Dijon mustard and a tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce. And then as much as you really like as far as heat goes, but I'm going to go with a quarter teaspoon of a vinegar-based hot sauce. So think of like a southern-style hot sauce. And we're just going to mix all this together. So some pretty powerful flavors here. We're going to get these reduced down to concentrate once we get our onion softened up. So at this point, we're going to move the skillet off the heat because we are adding alcohol, which can flame up if it hits super high heat. And you just want to be moving this stuff around. It's immediately reducing, but we're taking that fond up from the bottom, so adding all of that flavor in there. We're completely done with the heat at this point. This is already reduced down and thickened up. As you pull a spoon through it, it leaves a trail behind. So that's what we're looking for. That's our flavor base. And we're just going to finish this off with some butter. So I'm going to throw in just a tablespoon of butter at a time here, and we'll just keep moving that around until it's melted and then we'll add our next tablespoon of butter. I'm gonna grab a whisk to help me out on this part. Alright so we've worked in about quarter cup now of butter. We want to get this off the heat so we're gonna move this over to a ramekin and then I'm just gonna dip my spoon in there get a taste for it and see what we need to adjust as far as flavors go. It's definitely got plenty of salt, very savory. I think I want to add just a touch more hot sauce and we'll call it good. Go ahead and just leave that whole, those whole cloves of garlic down in there. They'll continue to kind of add some flavor to that sauce. But this is pretty much ready to serve immediately. You can strain it off if you like it a little bit smoother or if you don't mind the rustic feel, just go ahead and serve it the way it is. Salty, great scotch flavor. That's a great steak sauce. So we're just going to take our steaks now, which have been resting, plate that up and throw a bit of our steak sauce on top. And there you have it. That does it for today's episode. Let us know if you cook this recipe and email us at cookingwithfirepodcast at gmail.com to let us know what else you'd like us to feature on the show. And as always, visit KMUW.org to get the full recipe for this week's cook. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. This allows us to reach more listeners. And join us next time as we dive into the world of Irish whiskey. Lastly, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to the team at Cocktail Time Wine and Spirits here in Northwest Wichita, Kansas for the great suggestion on the two Spayburn bottles on as a distillery I was not that familiar with and happy to have a couple of bottles to suggest to you and to try and to cook with. I thought William Wallace was Irish. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>